to this Thursday Frozen Four edition of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined via phone by Chris Lynch of Inside Hockey at the United Center covering the event. Chris, how's Chicago treating you this week? It's very rainy so far, but uh, aside from that, it's been lovely. Uh, the people are very nice. The arena here is gigantic. I've never been uh, to the United Center before, but this place is huge. I, I know I've been to the Boston Garden many times before, and I know that's a pretty big building, but this one, I, I knew the United Center was a bigger arena, but this place just feels gigantic compared to uh, compared to the Garden. So I'm, I'm liking my experience here quite a lot. It's a busy show this week. It's the biggest weekend of the college hockey calendar. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hobie Baker Award to be handed out this Friday. We're going to break down this weekend's games. But first, let's go through the regionals, and we'll start with the East. You were at the East Regional, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. I was. Uh, I saw the madness. I saw Providence fail to score anything against Harvard. I saw... Air Force beat Western Michigan, an upset that I predicted. I will, you know, humble brag, point that out. And I saw, <laughs> excuse me, I saw Coast, uh, I saw Air Force give quite a scare to the Crimson late in a uh, performance that I was surprised how close it was, but I'm not terribly surprised that it was as close. I think a lot of people unfairly understood the uh, the ability and potential for the Falcons of the Air Force Academy. Yeah, they really represented the Atlantic Conference extremely well. That's I, I think that people wrote off Air Force based on their conference. We see the Atlantic as a bit of a doormat come this time of year, but they really proved they belonged, and they had been proving it all season. They were they were in the pairwise rankings to the point that they had there not been a guaranteed bid from their conference, they probably would have been in that large selection anyway. And they proved they really belonged by defeating a really good Western Michigan team. And you're right. They really did make Harvard sweat. They rallied back. It was 3 nothing early in the second period. They rallied back to make it 3-2 by the end of that period. And the third was tight the whole way. And they got those two goals within 15 seconds of each other. And that was late. Uh, they were they were really fun team to watch and I uh, I now understand why everyone loves Frank Saratori so much their head coach he's he's awesome in the press conference afterwards he had uh, well actually in the uh, the day before he had a sequence in which I don't even remember what the question was but the answer he gave was one he told us about <laughs> uh, he he gave thoughtful analysis on uh, Gen, on uh, general hockey strategy. He explained the weaknesses and strengths of his teams while harshly criticizing and strongly praising the efforts that uh, his team had. He discussed the state of college hockey, and he gave quips that left everyone in stitches. Saratori is awesome. It sounds like he stole the show, and he really he did a great coaching job. We talked a lot a couple of weeks ago on this podcast about the great coaching matchup that was represented when they played Western Michigan. And I don't think that matchup left, you know, I don't think anyone was disappointed in what they saw between 
between both him and Andy Murray. Oh, no. Uh, everyone was pleased with the way that they played. Uh, it was a different sort of game than the Harvard game. It was very high scoring and a lot of chances for both sides. But it was a fun game to get to cover. The whole weekend was awesome down in Providence. So I, uh, I thought highly of it. it. It worked out nicely for, well, it worked out best, of course, for Harvard because they won the whole thing. But every team that went there put up a good showing. It was fun to uh, get to watch it. It looked like they might have had the most consistent crowd of any of the four different... I, I was watching them all on television from my living room, but it seemed like certain venues were very sided toward one game, and then the other game was a lot closer to empty. Whereas with with the Providence venue, it looked like they really were there for both games. The teams did travel pretty well. Obviously, Notre Dame had... Or, I'm sorry, not Notre Dame... Obviously, Western Michigan and Air Force both had a long way to travel, but I think that they were pretty well represented given that, and there were plenty of people at that game. Yeah. Well, there's one slight benefit, not slight benefit, but remember all the Air Force bases that are right around, uh, that the Air Force team made a conscious effort to try and get people from the base and uh, veterans from New England. They made a conscious effort to try and get those people in. So uh, that was by design. But they had a very good crowd. Um, I think Manchester had uh, Manchester had a good crowd, but really, but it was a low crowd. You're probably right about it being the most consistent crowd. But there was definitely a larger attendance for when the Friars were playing against the Crimson than for any of the other games, I think. Not that much of a drop-off, but still noticeable enough. Yeah, it was a noticeable drop-off, but not quite what we saw in the West Regional when the BU versus North Dakota, it looked like you could hardly find an empty seat in that arena, but when Ohio State and Minnesota Duluth took to the ice, it didn't look like, well, it didn't look like the game it should have because that was a great game. It went to overtime. That entire West Regional was a great game, and everything went to overtime, which you don't really see in any hockey tournament where you get three games like that, and they were all excellent. EU and North Dakota went to double overtime. Yeah, that's uh, that's four overtime periods in the space of three games. That was, that was just incredible. I watched while I was covering the uh, <laughs> while I was covering the Providence Harvard game, I had my ESPN app open to uh, to the to the BU North Dakota game, and I watched it intently, just trying to keep keep uh, pace with everything that was going on. And when North Dakota scored that goal in overtime, I thought that was going to be the end of it. But when they showed the replay, I did see that it was the correct call to overturn the goal because of offsides. It was close, but it was close enough where, yeah, it was it was an offside. And BU dodged a big bullet there, and they almost dodged another one the, the next night with a third with a third period rally against Duluth. But um, first off, our friend from North Dakota who was on, uh, who was on the other time, uh, I'll have to talk with him at some point about how, how incredible a hockey game that was. Seriously, that was just an amazing game the whole way through. And that I, that was the best regional, I think. 
I was at, I mean, I was at the Manchester Regional for the Notre Dame Bowl, which was also overtime. I, I still think the, for all three games, the West Regional was the best played and most entertaining of all the regional tournaments we had. Would you agree? I think I think I agree with that. I think it was interesting to see North Dakota and BU. We came into that tournament and built it as that was the best matchup that we saw in the first round. And lo and behold, double overtime and like you said, a disallowed goal on an offside penalty, which or an offsides call, which that's that's a tough way to call a goal back, but he was offside, and that's that's how it works. They do they wouldn't have replay if they didn't want to look at these things, and it was a very good use of replay. I think the refs did a good job. And by the way, to make that call in Fargo is nothing to you know, it's no small thing. Not that not that we're suggesting that hockey refs would ever be biased. Hockey refs are incredible, and we'll be talking about them later on because there's going to be helmet cam in this frozen four, which I'll get to in a little bit. But mm-hmm. that was that was a wonderful performance on all sides and it was good to see the refs pitch in as well because we see it in sports of all kinds that you can have a great game and still have people say, Yeah, but the refs weren't so great. They're pretty good in that one. They're pretty good in that whole regional. So that was that was a good kind of an exclamation point on what was probably the best regional, certainly the most entertaining for all three games. Yeah, I mean, I I was at the Northeast Regional for the matchup. It's for the uh, Lowell Cornell, Notre Dame, Minnesota, and Lowell, Notre Dame uh, were the three games there. The second and third games were very good. The first one was a 5 nothing blowout, and truthfully, I don't think Cornell looked that good in that one. So that drops it behind us. Man, it was fun. It was really fun watching it. And a good reminder of, you know, NCAA hockey is pretty good hockey. Let's hope Chicago is just as good. Oh, absolutely. And in that Northeast Regional, like you said, Mass Lowell just dominated Cornell in that first game. It was 5 nothing. It looked like it could have been more than that. And you walked away from that and, you know, Notre Dame had a great rally to come back from two goals down to beat Minnesota. Andrews Bjork scored twice in that rally. I had thought in the middle of that second period that Notre Dame was done. And even after that after that Saturday of action, I walked away thinking, you know, I saw nine days before Notre Dame play Mass Lowell. And, and they got beaten badly. Like, they got beaten like a drum. And while there was a bit of a venue issue, they had to travel out to Boston and they didn't have much of their crowd there. It wasn't going to get any better in Manchester. It it was still going to be a very lull-sided crowd there. It's about the same travel time for Notre Dame to get out there. So I was not expecting the sharp turnaround. I can't imagine what Jeff Jackson said in nine days to get his team to play like that against the same Mass Lowell team they had lost to. And it wasn't a bad game for the Riverhawks. They played very well. Yeah, they were. It was right on down to the wire. It was as entertaining as you could ever hope to have a hockey game. And it was an outstanding way for it to go. It was a lot of fun to watch. So uh, nothing for Lowell to be ashamed of. They had, they did absolutely everything they possibly could have to try and win the hockey game. It just, you know, 
it's hard to win a hockey game in uh, in uh, the, in in this part of the season, especially when Cal Peterson is proving to be a top-notch goaltender uh, in this yeah, level he, of college. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, did you see in the Players' Tribune that Cal Peterson wrote up something there? I saw that he wrote something up. I didn't. I haven't had the chance to read it yet. Go read it, and you'll understand that. Cal has been through some uh, very difficult and trying times for uh, for a hockey player. I won't give it away too much, but there were points when he was living in Chicago by himself in a hotel so that he could be on a on a team that was here in Chicago instead of being home with people. And you know that's fitting because he ended up in the Frozen Four here in Chicago, so it's full circle for him. Funny how that works out, but. Um, Go read it. Everyone who listens to this, go check out the Players' Tribune article written by Cal Peterson. It's awesome getting to uh, see what he has to say about about all of it. And we'll have the link to that in the comments. I'll make sure to put the link to that so people can find it right right on our page as well so they can they can get the link and not have to even Google it. It'll be right there for them. And it is great that Peterson is the star for Notre Dame. He came into the season, Notre Dame had some high expectations, and it was because of Cal Peterson. And we talked a lot about goalies in the Hobie Baker race. He really wasn't one of them. People were kind of surprised by that in a way, but here he is in the most important games making huge saves, and here's Notre Dame in the Frozen Four, largely because of their goaltender. You know, you get in a single elimination hockey Playoff hockey in general, if you have the hot goalie, you have a huge advantage over everyone. But when it's a single elimination game, it's that much more. And you alluded to that when you were mentioning Lowell has nothing to be ashamed of. They certainly don't. It was a wonderful matchup, that Northeast Regional as well. And, you know, you're in single elimination games. You get into sudden death overtime. They don't call it sudden death because it's slow and inevitable. Yeah, it just kind of happens. But um, don't undersell the offense that Notre Dame has. Anders Bjork has had an exceptional season. He's the highest. I'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the game predictions for the pros four. But he is the uh, highest scoring player left in the NCAA tournament right now. And there's two other 40-point players on that line that he has. So don't undersell the rest of the units. I know that you'll be the first to point out you're not, and I know you are, but let's not undersell what everyone else is doing. Absolutely. Very good point there. And then in the Midwest Regional, well, that might have been, there weren't a lot of close games, but wow, Penn State and Union. The game was 2-2 after the first period. Nine minutes into the second, it was 3-3. Your final score, Penn State 10, Union 3. So in the sport that Nittany Lions fans know best, they scored a touchdown in the third period. <laughs> and they held, and they, they only allowed a field goal for the other side. Uh, yeah. Um, that I kept track of that one. I was shocked at how much of a blowout that game was. But I wasn't – if there was going to be a game that could be a blowout, I thought it could be that one because 
Union's defense has been iffy at many points throughout the season. Six goals to Harvard. Uh, got lit up by a couple other UCAC teams. And uh, their offense is great. Vecchioni and Fu can really score the puck, but they had issues keeping others out of their own net. So if there was going to be a true blood game, it was either going to be that one or the Denver Tech game. And surprise, surprise, Denver Tech ended up also being not that close either. I think 6-2 to two was the Denver Tech game. It was five to two, but Denver scored four times in the first period. So it was five to two, and it wasn't that close. Yeah, they they made quick work of every, of uh, the opposition in that game. You know, stuff happens. Tough sport, things happen. So um, either way, well, it's a good. Um, you get to a single game. It's if Union and Penn State had played five times, I'm not sure they're getting that result every time. But you play once. Yeah, and that's the one. And I don't. And I, Denver didn't seem to have much of an issue with with Penn State in the regional final either. I mean, a lot of people thought that was sort of an over and done fact when Denver uh, went up against Penn State, which good for them for their first trip to the NCAA tournament and they make the regional championship game, especially since only five years ago they were a club team, but. They ran into a powerhouse in Denver that's coming off of Frozen. They won the Frozen Four last year, and they were really hurt about – they said this in the press conference today. They're still bitter about losing to North Dakota last year. Well, well, they're playing right now like North Dakota was last year at this time. They're playing their best hockey right now. And I, I took a different message from that, from that Denver-Penn State game. I think – Denver was obviously in control the whole time. There was only really a brief moment in the second period where it looked like the Nittany Lions might have a shot there. But I would say that for for that moment alone, Penn State proved that it really did belong in that game for more than just matchup reasons. And Denver just proved that this might be it. That there are certain times when a team just clicks. I mentioned last year, North Dakota got to the tournament and everything suddenly went right for them, and they just blew by everybody else. And that looks like Denver right now. They came in as the top-ranked team. They certainly look like the top-ranked team in the regionals. We'll get to that when we break down the Frozen Four, but they certainly asserted themselves in the Midwest, and they finished that off with just an exclamation point. I, I, I think Penn State played pretty well in that game, honestly, but just – when you're the best team, or at least you're worthy of the Frozen Four, that's what makes you worthy of the Frozen Four standing out over even good teams. Yeah, I mean, I understand your analysis of it. I, I get that position of it, and I'm very happy that there are more programs that are developing in the way that Penn State is. I'm very happy that – I think it's great for college hockey that more big schools like them are getting – better positions and are improving their standing within uh, within the sport. I think it makes the sport that much better if there's just more competition. But Denver was just so almost scarily much more better than everyone else is off. Yeah, they, they were they were fully in control. And that's and they were convincing. That that's the best word I can come up with. In their in their two games of the regionals, they were they were the most convincing team. I think Harvard has really been 
excellent throughout the year. I think all these Frozen Four teams, you, they certainly all belong. But the most convincing team so far has been Denver, and they really stood out in the region. I'll agree with that point. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to it with the Hobie hat trick and talk a little bit about who we think might win the Hobie Baker Award in just a minute. You're listening to Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the Podcast Lab Network. Golf. A good walk spoiled? The only four-letter word you can say on a course that you can repeat in front of children. A source of endless joy and humility. It's the game so many of us love. At Ground Under Repair here on the Podcast Lab Network, I bring you golf from a different angle. I'll talk to groundskeepers, club pros, course designers, marshals, caddies, league organizers, range managers, and all the other people who help put it all together for us. I'm columnist Tim Williams. Join me weekly for Ground Under Repair, where golf is for everyone. Welcome back to Puck University. I'm Tim Williams, joined by Inside Hockey's Chris Lynch. We're talking about the Frozen Four. He's in Chicago, and part of this weekend is it's just about time to award Bobby Baker. I talked a little bit about it last week. The Hobie hat trick was announced right before I recorded last Thursday with the finalists being Zach Aston Reese from Northeastern, Mike Vecchioni of Union, and Will Butcher of Denver, who is, of course, playing on Thursday night. I think the first question people have, Chris, is are these the right three finalists? We have this question every year when we see the, the Hobie hat trick, and I'll pose it to you now. Um, so Aston Reese and Keller are the, are the two best scorers this season. So if we're talking, if, so if we're going to say that the Hobie Baker award should go to the best pure forward, then yeah, they are, then yeah, they would be the two, uh, people who would be deserving. Um, Butcher is not that much of a score. He's got a ton of assists. For his Denver team, like 29 assists with 36 points, and he by far leads them in blocks with 74 and sets the pace for the way they play on defense. And they have among the stingiest defenses in the in the in the country with a 183 goals against. That's in part Tanja Elliott, but it is in large part of what Butcher can contribute. I so. I think those three are deserving. The only other person that I would say, you know, I really would uh, consider um, this guy to be to be the uh, the next person down is I I feel bad because I'm drawing a blank on his name is the goaltender from uh, Bemidji State, um, Mike Blitzer, who uh, just. A 171 goals allowed average and a 932 save percentage. That's unreal. That's absolutely unreal the way that he performs this season. And I understand that. I think the reason he didn't get in uh, to the hat trick this year is simply because his team didn't make the NCAA tournament, I think. But, uh, and also, it's much harder for a goaltender to win the Hobie Baker. I don't know the last time that a goalie won that award. But uh, of the three people who got in, they're all certainly deserving. 
of uh, the nomination of Phoenix of Obiancha, I think. Well, it's funny. Two of them are already members of professional teams. Zach Aston Reese is playing for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins right now, and Mike Vecchioni's on the Flyers already. So he's playing for what are becoming kind of the college hockey alumni of the NHL, the Philadelphia Flyers. Meanwhile, Will Butcher's about to play in the Frozen Four. He still has a team playing. And that's kind of how I've seen the Hobie race since the finalists were announced. You have to use a golf term, a leader in the clubhouse, and Zach Aston Reese. But then you have all these other players playing. You had Vecchioni up until last week was playing, and Will Butcher is still playing. He'll have another game before the award is given out. So, do you think? Do you think his performance? Do you think Will Butcher's performance on Thursday night will impact the way this all goes? I kind of do, but keep in mind when I talk about this, I'm a little biased because I, I look at this and I can't help but think it would be so nice to see a Northeastern guy win the Hobie. So I'm a little biased on this, but I think it does come down to that game. If Will Butcher is the reason Denver's playing in the final, then I think that seals it and he wins the award. If Denver wins for just about any other reason or if they if they don't win, then I think it's going to end up going to Aston Reese. And I, I think it comes down, you know, you get to the Hobie hat trick, and my take most of the time is there's really rarely a wrong answer when you get down to three people at the end. It, there are a few years where one guy is the foregone conclusion. But I don't think like there's tor- anyone at three that takes it away, and we're going to be mad that someone didn't win. Yeah, none of these years have a have – a- uh, they're testing out the audio up here, so if that's why there's random sounds coming in, just heads up. There isn't a one clear runaway choice. It's not like Paul Career or Jack Eichel are playing and are in the Hobie hat trick this year. All three of them are deserving. I don't think Kelleher would win it simply because of where his team finished in uh, like the record that his team had and how up and down it was. I think Ashton Reese before... The before tomorrow night, he is the leader to be uh, to win it simply because forwards are more likely to have the stats necessary to uh, catch the attention of everybody. The last defenseman to win Hobie Baker was Matt Gilroy, who won it for BU back in 2009. Since then, I believe it has been all forwards who've won that award. Um, and I personally think Will Blitzer is the is the best defenseman in the country. And I I agree with you that I think tomorrow will have an effect on uh, on the way the selection for the for Hobie goes, but I'm not sure how much or how big of a, of an impact it will have. I just have to wait and see if but I and I understand your bias of how you would want a North Eastern player to win it, and I think I still think Aston Reese will win it simply because forwards are more likely to win that award. But I really think that Will Butcher, because of his team's marked success uh, in terms of record over every other team in the country, and how integral he is to that defensive unit, and as good as Denver's offense is, I see their identity, and maybe this is just me, but I really see their identity as a defensive team that can smother you at every possible end. So 
I I think Butcher should win it, but I think Aston Reese will win it, barring a magnificent performance from Butcher tomorrow night. Well, and of course, when Denver scores goals, he's part of the reason for that. He's one of the top scoring defensemen anywhere. He can put it in from the blue line, and that's part of a big key to Denver's success. So he could end up with a goal or two tomorrow night, and suddenly that makes the decision a whole lot easier, easier for people. I would throw in there that... I think Mike Vecchioni has had a hell of a season playing for Union as well. I think he belongs in this three, in these three finalists. I think he's really earned his way. He's been a great facilitator as well. And yep. he's been part of the group that helped build that Union program before a few years ago when they won with him and Shane Gostaspear. Before that, they weren't that kind of a college hockey program. And now they're one that can start talking about getting more guys like that and winning on the highest mm-hmm. level. And that's mm-hmm. that there's something to be said for that as well. And then you get yeah. to Aston Reese who he played most of the season without at least one line made at a time because the mm-hmm. two Stevens brothers combined to miss 33 games. So yeah. to do that when your line isn't really cutting it and you're doing that in a tough conference like Hockey East that will punish you. That's pretty amazing too. And again, as much as I, I am a little biased here, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I, I don't think that there's anybody that you can walk away and say, well, they didn't deserve to be in the finals. They didn't deserve to win the award. Butcher, you can make plenty of cases for. He can score on defense. He's a great defenseman. He sacrifices his body taking all those shots. And more than that, he's the best player on, so far this year, the best team. And that's that's a tough argument to walk away from. So it'll be really interesting to see who wins the Hobie this year. And my final thought on it is I think this is a good sign for college hockey in general that you have such a wide-open Hobie race and such a a sport with a growing talent level. You get more and more NHL pros, and yet you still have an undrafted senior sitting there and another guy who graduated straight into free agency and that yeah. made the Hobie hat trick. It's a great sign for college hockey. You get talent from everywhere. Absolutely agree, but I still think I, I I won't be mad whoever wins it, but I still genuinely believe that Butcher should win it. I, Vecchioni's program got absolutely annihilated in their last game, in, which was in the NCAA regionals. Aston Reese did a ton for his program with uh, with not a ton of help all the time because of injuries. Not not his own fault and not Northeastern's fault for not putting talent around him. They did. They just got injured, and there's no way you can game plan for that. But I really think that uh, Butcher should win it. It's exciting to see. I should be able to be there uh, on Friday night when they announce it because my Frozen Sport credential gets me into the uh, the Hobie Awards banquet, I think, when they'll announce some other stuff as well. So uh, at Navy Pier out here in Chicago. So I'm quite excited for this whole weekend to be sort of the eyes and ears of the college hockey world. Well, and that's a fantastic place to have it. Navy Pier is just a great part of Chicago in general. It's not right there by the United Center, I'll say that much, but it's a bit of a hike from there. It's pretty much geographically all the way on the other side of Chicago. But it's yeah. it's a great part of town. It's a great place, and Chicago in general is. 
you know, they have to they have to pay the Uber bills and taxi people somehow, so they may as well make that. I guess I'm, I'm at, also Navy Pier is just a good facility to have it in, and the United Center is. Blame the city of Chicago for uh, for that setup, not uh, not the good people of the NCAA. I think. Well, they're on two separate nights. You don't need to be in the same buildings at the same time. It's not they don't need to be near each other. I was just commenting that they're so far away from each other in Chicago because, well, it makes good sense to put the United Center where it is. It'd be tough to get to it anywhere else in town. That's for sure. I'll agree to that. It's exciting. It's a great time to be a uh, to be a college hockey person. I think this is the. Uh, I think this might be the best time to be a college hockey person that I since I've been paying attention to sports. So exciting times for all of us here. Are you encountering people who are showing up to support the four schools? Obviously, they're not showing up to practices and press conferences, but around town, are you seeing people who are? Getting who are there for say Notre Dame or or is that a little is that a little bit of a pipe dream? I haven't seen anyone. That's largely because I've not been able to get around Chicago that much. I got in here last night and stayed with friends um, with uh, friends family from college who are BU people. So I didn't. I haven't gotten any the rest of all of today. I've been here at the United Center. Uh, at practices and doing that sort of stuff. So I just haven't been able to get around. So I can't answer that question, unfortunately. Well, we'll bring you to stuff you can answer then and start breaking down the frozen four since you've actually been able to see the practices and see the press conferences. The early game on Thursday at 5 o'clock Central Time, so just under 24 hours from now, Harvard and Minnesota Duluth will face off. You've seen the team's practices. You've heard the conferences. What are you noticing about this upcoming game? So the biggest thing that grabbed me about these two teams from what I saw today is the way Harvard practiced. They did everything with excellent speed. They moved very quickly. They moved with purpose. They moved with enthusiasm. And they they moved with purpose in a way that I – uh, I mean, Denver did as well. I mean, all the teams moved with some purpose, but Harvard skated fast. That's the name of their whole game is to do everything fast. So um, I really liked what I saw out of uh, out of the Crimson today. I'd actually say it's the uh, it's the most impressive thing that I saw uh, out of them uh, all day. So um, the other. Th- thing that I'm curious about for Duluth is um, I'm just curious how Miska will play in goal for a a young Duluth team. He's he's uh, had a great season already and surpassed a lot of expectations with a little bit of turnover at Duluth and with a younger program that won their first national championship only six years ago. But I'm very curious to see what Miska will do. The other thing that was a little concerning for me about Duluth, their accuracy was off. Or rather, their accuracy was on when shooting. They just hit a lot of iron and not a lot of netting from what I saw. So I will not uh, deny being a touch concerned about that. But, you know, details. And, of course, we talked a little bit about the – we talked about the regionals earlier and how Harvard – 
They were tested by Air Force, but Harvard was in control of both of their games in the regional and, in fact, never trailed at any point in their in their regional journey through here. And Minnesota Duluth, they had a much tougher road. They had to go to a pair of overtimes combined across the two games, one against Ohio State and one against BU. So Harvard, it's been a week that I can't say anyone's tired because they had a bye week because there was some other college event that was going on last weekend that preempted the Frozen Four a little bit. But... <laughs> yeah, that that was kind of a big deal. What was happening? Uh, what was happening in the basketball world? Yeah, but their refs aren't wearing helmet cameras, and that's that's one of my big takeaways. Is they came out today and they pointed out that the referees will be wearing cameras for the ESPN feed of the game over the weekend, and I I can't wait to see it because hockey refs they might not always get the calls right, although they do a pretty good job, but the amount of work a hockey ref has to do just to not get involved in the action himself is obscene and yeah to see a helmet camera that might be a lot of fun i think that's going to turn out to be one of the breakout stars of the event but of course the hockey is going to steal the show as it always does well yes the hockey is the reason why you would tune in to watch this stuff but i see your point about really liking the idea of a helmet cam my concern is that i just hope it doesn't I hope it isn't shown in a way that is too gimmicky, if that makes sense. I always have my concerns about all the different attempts to show off these fun and funky and crazy new camera angles, man, that, um, I mean, it's a great idea. I love the ambition. I, if I were watching on television, I would uh, greatly appreciate that. And I, absolutely respect the efforts of hockey officials to make sure they're not interfering with the play and make sure they're not becoming the story. But I don't know. Okay. Good for you, ESPN, that uh, you're coming up with a new way to put a camera and provide something new for all the fans to see. Seriously, we like this, but I just hope they don't make it too gimmicky is my only concern. Well, keep in mind, it is the biggest hockey event they show all year. That's true. Um, by a considerable distance, actually. Um, so, yeah, I get that point. And I hope the broadcast works because I would love to see ESPN do more and better hockey content. If they get more and better coverage of the NHL, uh, of, the, of the NHL draft, which I agree with you, uh, hockey does have the best draft in total. But I hope this works. I just hope that they're not gimmicky with the way the helmet cams work. And I have concerns based off of my lifetime of being a baseball fan and seeing the plate cams and the mound cams. And they just seem to be passing gimmicks is my only concern. That's a fair, fair concern to have that sometimes that in trying to make things more entertaining, they lose sight of the action and the actions where we're actually entertained. So it it's a little bit counterintuitive. I just think because hockey refs are so unique to even refereeing that at least a couple shots of them trying to get out of a player's way and diving into that cubby hole that they have on each side of the ice will be a lot of fun, I think. And mm-hmm. as you said, there's a lot up for grabs. There's college hockey rights are kind of out in the open right now. So we're we're all waiting to see 
how the sports covered after this season. And it will be interesting to see the ratings from this weekend as a result for that. And of course, now we're getting way off topic and back to the hockey. The other game is Denver and Notre Dame. And, you know, in every tournament like these, we always seem to see one team that expected to be there and one team that it's a complete surprise to everyone who's not on the roster that they're there. And that's what we see in Denver and Notre Dame. Okay, do you want to know one? Do you want to know one very interesting historical thing I found out while uh, doing a little bit of uh, research for this game? There's actually a very, there's actually a very real historical connection that the coaches of these teams have. So, uh, Jeff Jackson in the '90s was the head coach of the Lakers at Lake Superior State, and he won a couple championships in 1992 and '94. He almost had a except for uh, you remember the great Paul Korea and um, the, those main programs in, in, in the 90s that were amazing, that uh, entertained and played incredible hockey, right? Well, and a good friend who went to Maine, he swears that was the best college hockey team ever assembled. And I would love to fight him, but I would need more stats for that. Uh, he has a very good case in favor of it. I mean, 40 wins, one loss, and two ties. He's got a very good case for that being the greatest team ever, but that's beside the point. In the national championship game in 1993, Maine and and Lake Superior State played each other, and the Lakers had a 4-2 lead in the third period, but Maine fought back to win. They won 5-4 on a natural hat trick by Jim Montgomery, the current head coach of the Denver Pioneers. Yeah, he won most outstanding player in the Frozen Four that year. So that's an that is an excellent connection, and I I hadn't put that together myself. I I knew that I knew that Jeff Jackson used to coach at Lake Superior State, and I knew that Jim Montgomery played on that legendary main team, but I had never really done that math in in my head. So that's that is fascinating to hear, and. That's going to be an interesting matchup because Denver, as you mentioned, is a defense first team. They can score. They scored quite a bit in there. They scored 11 goals in the regional between two games. So they are able to light the lamp if they need to, but they're a defensive minded team and they're up against a team that when they're playing well is anchored by a great goaltender and they can score. So it's going to be a good contrast in style. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see what we have. I really like the way Notre Dame's top line has been playing. I think Anders York has been – I knew he was a good player when I, I got to watch him when he played against the Terriers and uh, in, the, in, a, in the hockey's tournament. I, he skated well. He greatly impressed me in the regionals. He won most outstanding player of the regionals, assisting on all three of Notre Dame's goals in the bowl game and scoring twice in the Minnesota game. But Bjork, Ogilvy, and Evans are – that line will give Denver some real matchup issues. And the more I think about – I think to the casual hockey view, like Denver should win this on paper. But looking a little closer, there's not as big of a gap as I think a lot of people will perceive. I think these teams are a lot closer. I think we'll have a real battle. Also – Remember one point, Notre Dame, in addition to playing in this tournament, is also the host 
of this tournament, and they're not that far. They have a great relationship with the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks go to Notre Dame to have their training camp at their arena, and actually, uh, just a little connection, the current general manager of the Blackhawks is a Notre Dame alum. So there's a great relationship between those two programs, and there's a lot of Notre Dame people who will be filling the seats at the United Center. So yeah, that's that's been a prediction I've heard pretty much since the since Notre Dame qualified for the Frozen Four that they are going to be all over the arena because South Bend is right there in Chicago. Well, Chicago's biggest college in terms of athletics that they've ever followed has always been Notre Dame. So this is this is kind of a homecoming of sorts for Notre Dame, even though Indiana is not quite Illinois. It's still close enough. It's right there. And like you said, they're the host school. So they're going to be at an interesting advantage. They also have... <laughs> the most highly rated goaltender coming in. It's hard to say best goaltender because any of the four could stand on their head for two games and that's all that matters. But Notre Dame comes in with on paper a goaltending advantage, which again, we're getting the single elimination hockey game. So if you stand on your head, that's all that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, I think Cal Peterson is other than Merrick Madsen. I think, I think those two would be the goalies I would want. Because they're experienced, Jalliot and um, Matt and um, uh, Miska are both freshmen. They're young guys. They're very talented players. But when considering the position of goalie, I absolutely love and want experience out of my goaltender. So I would pick one of those two. And because of you know Cal being from the area, being a Chicago person. I would want Cal to be my goaltender. So they'll, they'll keep close with Denver. This will be a fight, and uh, the fans here will get exactly what they paid for, some excellent hockey games. Yeah, I, I personally think we've been building a Denver-Harvard final since about February. Nothing since then suggested to me that either of these teams don't deserve to play for the championship. Harvard has won every trophy they've been eligible for. Denver's been a complete team all season long. We're reaching a point in the show where we make our picks. I'm going to take Harvard and Denver in the final, and I'm going to take Harvard over Denver in that final. How about you, Chris? Um, for a little more personal reasons, I'll admit, I'm going to agree with your exact analysis. But here's my lowdown. I think Harvard wants to win this championship more than I've ever seen any group of people that want to win anything. I'm, I'm completely serious. I've never seen a group of people that want to win as much as Harvard wants to win. A veteran group with just enough youth in Donato uh, uh, and Crisco, uh, Crisco, and they've got every single piece you need. So I think uh, Harvard will beat the loop on desire alone. There's not that I I actually think we'll get we might get the best game of the tournament in the early game between Harvard and Duluth because I on paper I think they're the most evenly matched teams even more so than uh, BU and North Dakota but that's just me thinking. The well, other game, you, you look at the pairwise rankings since they've been putting them out earlier this year. Those two teams have been switching spots all season long. They were so on paper they're almost identical. Yeah. 
Uh, the other game, I really think that Notre Dame will give Denver a fight. It'll be a tight game the whole way through, but I think Denver is just a little bit better on the defensive side. I still, I do think Peterson is a better goaltender, and I, I do maintain that there is a strong, strong chance for Cal Peterson to uh, lead his team to another upset in the NCAA tournament. But I think Denver will win it, and I think we'll get a Denver-Harvard final. And on a personal level, I might disqualify myself here for a moment, but I, my dad will be in the stands, and my dad is a Harvard alum. So I would love to see my dad be in the stands if the Harvard to win the national championship. I don't see anything wrong with putting a little personal touch on these things. It, we're we're analysts here. We're trying to break down the game as evenly as possible. But to do that, I think it's important to give those kind of things out to people and let yeah. them know that mm-hmm. you're kind of pulling for Harvard because you have family in the game, much the way that I can't talk about the Hobie hat trick and say, oh, yeah, I'm completely objective on this. It's just well, not a thing that's going to happen. So you have to tell people that, or they wouldn't know, yeah. and then they'd think that you're just trying to make a reason. Well, mm-hmm. here you go. There's, well, there's I, I a little do. bit on there. And we've also, in terms of that, I've seen more of Harvard and Notre Dame than I have of Minnesota, Duluth, and Denver. I mean, I do think that Denver and Notre Dame will combine for an excellent game if uh, should they meet in the championship game, which I, I think they will. I think that Denver... Denver's the better defensive team, but Borkstrom and Terry will still cause enormous problems for Merrick Madsen. I just think that Harvard is a better defensive team, and if Denver makes mistakes and commits too many penalties, they will get burned. Um, my my other big question with with the uh, and I actually the Denver Notre Dame game is really the most interesting of all these games to me because. Denver is the favorite and is expected to win everything and dominate. Notre Dame is, uh, to the casual fan, a lot of people would say just happy to be here. To the careful observer, will notice that they really do uh, want to win and have the uh, have the desire to do that. Jeff Jackson has done an incredible job of getting his guys ready. So uh, exciting times for all of us as college hockey people. But I'll agree with your analysis ultimately that. I think Denver and Harvard will meet for the national championship, and I believe Harvard will win. Personal feelings aside, I have still never seen or encountered a group of people who want something as badly as Harvard wants to win this championship. So I think they'll pull it out on pure desire alone. Yeah, and they've... And they've been that way for quite a while this season. They they get the early boost of having, you know, you get that tournament experience early when you play in the bean pot, and Harvard won that. And of course, that can propel. That's propelled more than a few teams to winning in this tournament as well. They have the NHL ice experience, and so does Denver. Denver has not just NHL ice experience, but a bunch of players who will find plenty of it when they get to the pro ranks. So it's going to be, if if it gets to that matchup, and of course it could go, Minnesota Duluth could easily win. Notre Dame could easily win. <laughs> these aren't written, you know, these aren't obvious picks exactly. So 
it it's part of what makes this tournament great that it's not the 64 team tournament there are no 11 seed cinderellas that make the the round of four teams left not in college hockey the the mm-hmm. four seed is still a dangerous team that earned their way in from October all the way through March to get into this tournament and Notre Dame is certainly that so it's it's great to see these teams represented thank you very much Chris Lynch for joining me from from calling all the way in from Chicago hey thank you for having me on and my pleasure to be a part of Puck University my I hope that the good people listening to this got a good story good connection or learned something from my intellectual contributions to the program and uh here's hoping we have a couple of great hockey games this weekend in in windy city and chris how can people follow you on twitter well uh my twitter feed is at cc lynch wall if you want to hear the inside story just uh, the reason why that's my twitter handle just shoot me a just shoot me a message at cc lynch wall and i'll explain it to you there uh i have my uh follow my writings InsideHockey.com, uh, and just type in the search profile. Uh, just type under authors Chris Lynch. You'll find all my writings for the whole season there. And uh, follow me on Instagram at cclynch16 uh, for all my social media feeds. Have I plugged my own uh, my own stuff enough for you? Hey, it's you're a guest. That's that's what guests get to do on podcasts like this. So. I figured I'd give you your shot to do it. And thank you very much for joining us. That's Puck University for this week. In the interest of continuing with the plugs, be sure to follow us through iTunes or Stitcher. For Chris Lynch of Inside Hockey, I'm your host, Tim Williams. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Frozen Four. And as always, keep your head up and your hits clean. (laughs) 